this scripture. I was going to wait, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. So the main portion of our scripture today is going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 20 to 24. Sounds good. Matthew 11, verse 20 through 24. Bible says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many miracles, his miracles, because they had not repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and in Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon, you will be better off on Judgment Day than you. They, sorry, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom would be better off on judgment day than you. Sounds like Jesus is a little irritated. Jesus is talking some really strong words here. Um, and I want to I want to unpack this today uh, because, as I mentioned, what I want you to be praying about to level up today is asking God for a bigger size. And here's I want to I want to set it up by saying this: We never have to ask God for more because God already wants to give you more. Okay, Bible says He's a loving God. He wants what's good for us. So when we ask for him, uh, him for things, we don't need to ask him for more. What we need to ask him is to be prepared to receive the more that he wants to give us. We got to ask him, Lord, teach me and prepare me so that I can receive all that you have for me. It's almost like us walking around. Uh, have you ever seen somebody who used to play uh, you know, high school sports or something like that, and they're like, you know, twice their size now, and they, you know, every once in a while they get excited or they love a team, and they'll put on their old jersey from back in the day, right? And it's like squeezed in, and like, man, you must have been buff in high school. Like, no, that thing looked like a, a t-shirt on them in high school, but now it's like all squeezed and all tight, and, and it just looked, because what? They've just outgrown it, right? Like, it, they've outgrown that. That season, not only the jerseys outgrown, but that season in their life is outgrown, right? They are no longer in high school. They, are, they probably can't even run down the football field and back, you know, without oxygen or some sort of medical intervention. Uh, those days are over, right? You're not in high school, and uh, you can't run like you used to run, uh, but you've outgrown that. And so the thing is, like, God wants to, to give us things that he's ready for the next season of our life. But we're, we sometimes are so comfortable with the small, tight, little size. You guys like, no, you need to pray for a bigger size. You need to pray that I can prepare you to receive all that I have for you, which is so much more. And so I was listening. The kids were telling me uh, there was this challenge, and it was the level up challenge. I didn't know what it was. How many of you know what the level up challenge is? 
Any, okay, most of you don't know what it is. Okay, so it's a dance, right? You're supposed to do this dance, and it's like, you know, like any other challenge, you kind of copy what they're doing, you post it, and, you know, challenge, hashtag, level up challenge, whatever. I didn't know it was that big of a deal, and I didn't really know about the song. So they told me the song is from Sierra. Sierra's got a new song, Level Up. I'm like, okay, all right, Sierra. I love Sierra. You know, Russell Wilson, Seahawks, Sierra, it all makes sense. I'm down, right? Let's support the system, right? I didn't really know what was happening with the Level Up. So I said, you know, I said, let me do my research and let me watch the video so I can figure out how to do the dance. Now, nobody prepared me and told me about the video. Don't search the video till after the Sabbath. If you're married, don't watch it until you're with your wife. Nobody prepared me for the video. I watched the video. First thought I had was, where is Russell Wilson? Russell, where are you? And, and why is Sierra on this video like this, okay? I'm trying to figure out where Russell is, okay? Did he know about this video? Is he okay with this video? I'm trying to figure out. Sierra, who is your pastor? I'm trying to figure out, is he backsliding? I mean, I'm just confused. I wasn't prepared for that. A brother just wasn't prepared to see Sierra leveling up. But as I began to research the song, I began to understand, because see, Russell posted a post, and clearly he was good with it. I'm just joking, teasing, right? And he's posting about, he said, what was interesting in his post, he said, my wife is going around talking about everybody should level up. He said, I realize I haven't leveled up. And so Russell starts talking about his goals and his dreams as a family. I said, that makes sense. Because that's the exact same thing God wants us to do. He wants us to level up. He wants us to take it to another level. Of course, it's a dance video. It's a dancer's dream, I'm told. But more so in the song. She even talks about being prayed up. She's even really casting a metaphor and really throwing shade on her ex. It seems like every song she does, she's throwing shade on future, right? The future just can't get over the fact that she's gone. And she's basically saying, brother, I have leveled up, okay? And it's pretty sad because you see Russell, like, playing with his son and, like, you know, birthday parties. That's got to hurt. That's got to hurt her brother deep down. But you know what? The, the fact is, Sierra leveled up. And Russell leveled up. I'm not going to talk about the sister you used to be married to. I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to say that both of them have leveled up. And God is frustrated. Jesus is really frustrated in this particular text. I want to break it down. Why he's so frustrated. So Jesus is, is kind of, he's not venting because he's God's not the kind of God that, you know, he just can't control his emotions or his or what he's going through. But he's being very honest and transparent about how he feels. So back in verse 20. The Bible says really, really in the beginning of verse 20 that Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many miracles because they had not repented of their sins or turned to God. Jesus was doing miracle after miracle in these towns. I don't know about you, but I'd love for Jesus to show up and just do miracle after miracle. He's frustrated because they're not leveling up. <coughs> he said, I've done these miracles. I've done this work in the town, and neither have they repented or they turned to God. I've done so many miracles, in fact, and these miracles mean nothing to them. It just doesn't do anything for them. He begins to explain 
uh, what towns. He begins to really call them out, right? That's what Jesus is doing. By the way, let me just make sure you're clear about which towns I'm talking about, right? I don't want to make, put this in the Bible. Make sure they understand which towns I'm talking about. And as he begins to list those towns, uh, the Gospels will record that these are the places where Jesus did a lot of his miracles. But then he does something interesting. He starts to compare some other cities that were known to be wicked. These other cities were known to be wicked. Whole, I mean, this is Vegas. You know, this is, this is the Vegas of the time, right? He's saying um, here in verse uh, 21, he said, What sorrow awaits you? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in Vegas, these pe their people would have repented their sins a long time ago. They would have clothed themselves in burlap, thrown ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, look what he says. Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. That don't sound too good. Jesus is saying, now wait a minute. If I had done everything for, the, for you there, they would have repented a long time ago. What is Jesus trying to say? Look at verse 23. And people of Capernaum, which the Bible tells you really where kind of Jesus was from. He did most of his miracles there. You will be honored. Or will you be honored in heaven? He is throwing major shade on Capernaum, right? Will you be honored in heaven? Before they say, he's like, no, right? You won't. You will go down to the place of the dead. You can read between the lines what Jesus is saying with that. For if, for if the miracles I did in you have been done in Sidon, it would, uh, sorry, in Sodom, thank you, it would be here today. Now hold on a minute. How many of you know about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That was a very troubling, very painful story in the Old Testament about a city who basically the wickedness had got so high, and, he, and God was like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy this city. And he tells his servant, Abraham, look, I'm about to destroy this city. He's like, hey, don't do that. It's not going to look good on you, God. Can we do something else? Can we work something else? And he begins to negotiate with him. Well, if you find this amount of people in this city that were righteous, I'll save the city. Now, here's the thing. Most of us think, well, God destroyed the city because it was so wicked. He was going to destroy the city because it was so wicked. But there was also a problem. There wasn't enough righteous people in the city. Couldn't even find 50, 40, 30, down to 10. And out of the 10, a sister didn't even make it because she was looking back at Sodom. And so Jesus is saying something pretty profound. He's irritated because he's saying, I, these miracles, if I did them in these places, they would have believed. But I did so many miracles here and you're not getting it. How many miracles does it take for you to get it? How many times do I got to save you for you to get it? And then after I do the miracle, you're not repenting. You're not changing your heart about things. It's kind of like, ooh, that was a close call. Thanks for getting me out, God. I'll see you at the next round. And, he's, and Jesus is irritated about this. I remember um, I played at Walla Walla University. Anybody, any Walla Walla alums in here? It's a few. So when you go to an Adventist school, especially an Adventist school, there, there's, there's some sports teams but, you know, they're, they're pretty competitive. And so you got to live for intramurals. Now, if you go through any sort of Adventist education system, intramurals is big. That's when you get to play some real competitive sports, right? That's when you get to do it. So I played on, on a basketball team. And unfortunately, the first year I played, I wasn't on the right team. Okay, I just was not on the right team at all. 
everybody was a star, right? I mean, this was like pre-Golden State. Everybody thought they could shoot. It was just a hot mess. I was so frustrated. I wanted to play basketball. I didn't want to play basketball with them, but I was stuck on this team. Now, I'm the shortest guy on the team, right? Clearly. And everybody thought they were a point guard. Pulling up threes. I'm like, come on, man. Can we just play as a team? It got so bad. I'm not even kidding you. It got so bad sometimes, I was playing center. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. I am posting up, getting rebounds. I'm like, this is, don't you see I'm like five, whatever, trying to get a rebound? Like, what is the problem? Why are you pulling up from, from the, and, and, and this one guy, uh, I can't say his name because somebody in the room knows who he is. He just loved to shoot like, and he thought he was so good. I'm like, I know you're good, but man, dude, you are like 6'5", like 250 pounds. And Tess, why don't you, <laughs> like, dude, why don't you play that? Why can't we switch? You play down here, I'll play up here, right? Another guy, I'm calling him out, Herbert Mike, he was so mad half the time. We don't even know, we don't even know what Corey is. He's just mad. I mean, the team was just a mess, right? So I'm playing center. Does that make any sense to you? Here's what's interesting. I, I thought about this. Because sometimes your view of God is so small that God should be playing in that position. Not only is your view of God small, he's way too small for the position you put him in. Like God can do so much more. He, he can do so much when we're like, uh, you know, why don't you play center? And my view of God is he's so, God can only do this. I couldn't ask God for that. And God is frustrated. He's irritated with his people because he said, look, I could do so much more, but you don't want to, you don't want to listen. You don't want to receive it. Let me take you to this text. Uh, two chapters over in Matthew chapter 13. And uh, I, I forgot what verse it was. There we go. Verse 53 uh, through, or 53 through 58. Look what happened. Jesus went back to his hometown. Look what happened. When Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. This is like LeBron going back home, right? This is like everybody knows him, everybody knows who he is, his favorite place to be, his favorite shops, his favorite tortillas, right? Everything Jesus liked, all his favorite spots. He's coming back home. He's been doing all this ministry, and now he's coming back home, right? He's coming back home to do this ministry. He taught in there in the synagogue. He preached in his local church, right? Everyone was amazed and said, where does he get the, this, uh, this wisdom and the power to do miracles? They, they don't understand. And then, then it starts to switch. Then it starts to go left really quick. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter's son. Now, mind you, he's preaching, he's doing miracles in his own town, and then they're going all the way left on him. He's just a carpenter's son. We know Mary and his mother and his brothers, James and Joseph, Simon and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all of these things? They are throwing shade at Jesus. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. 
Can I just tell you that unbelief and offense go together? Mm-hmm. That that when you when when you don't believe in God, it, it's offensive to you. And these people were offended by Jesus. Let me keep reading. Then Jesus told them, "A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family." And so he look at this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And so he only did a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Like I said before, God wants to do more. He he has more in store for us, but sometimes we're limited simply because we don't believe. The Bible says Jesus can only do a few miracles. I wonder how many he wanted to do. I wonder if he had a list of people he wanted to bless. I wonder if he had a list of the people that he knew they had been waiting their whole life for deliverance. I wonder if he just had this whole plan. He was coming home, and he gets home, and they're resisting him. He gets home, and they're offended by his gift. They're offended by his calling. They're offended by the stories. They're like, wait a minute, where did you learn that? Here's another way to say it. How'd you get on that level? You from the hood like us. Because Nazareth was the hood. Right? Oh, you think, okay, so you think you got it better because you moved over to this side of town. Okay, so I'm offended. Oh, you act like you don't know nobody. Oh, you ain't got no money to help a brother out. All that stuff. Oh, you think you large and in charge just because you got a little, little, lost a little weight. Oh, you just got married. You think you all that. Right? Facebook trollers. Instagram trollers. (laughs) Touching the nerve right there. Here's the problem. Jesus was too small. They they literally shrunk him. They're like, no, 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 forget all this Jesus stuff. I know his cousin. Like, I remember what happened in the third grade. I know his mom. I know his auntie. Oh, that's just Jesus. That's just Ephesus. We know them. That's just the east side. That's just the hood over there. Ain't nothing good coming out the hood. That's just that's just that part of town. That's just that's just those people. That's just that income bracket. That's that's just that group of people. We're not expecting them to be great. We're not expecting them to be strong. Can I just say this way? Jesus is looking for people who believe. You want to level up? You got to get a bigger size. He's looking for people to believe. He's looking for people to say, you know what? I think God is much bigger than this. I think I've got God in a box, and I think I think I've got him figured out, but I think there's some ways I can expand. What if I invited God into this? What if I got God into that? What about this dream, this business idea, this, this place I want to visit, this degree I want to earn? Maybe that man that I really should wait for. But I'm going to wait and just find out if God is big enough. In the Bible, what's interesting is the word belief and the word faith is really the same word. It's often interchanged that when someone believes, they have faith. Here's what's powerful about miracles. Jesus didn't do miracles for people to believe. He did miracles because people believed. 
Can I say it again? He doesn't need to do a miracle to persuade you he's God. He does a miracle for people who believe that he's God. Do I have any believers in the house today that say, I believe you'll do a miracle. I believe you'll work it out for me. And God has worked it out for me. Is it really just that simple? That God's looking for someone to believe. It sounds so simple. That God just says, all I need you to do is believe. I thought about the simplicity in that, and I wrestled with it, and I thought about it. I said, man, I can't, I can't just go, I, gotta, I just can't tell him that it's just that simple. Just got to believe. Just got to believe in who he is. Just got to believe in trust, and that we'll be prepared to level up. Then he reminded me. I said, you know, my conversation with God was like, hey, this seems really simple. And why is it so simple? He says, we, I, I, was, I was led to think about it this way. We do this for the wrong thing all the time. Some of us has been living with a perspective of ourselves that a teacher told us in the third grade. Some, some of us are living from a pain and an injury from our parents that they, they said something to us and we just gravitated to it and just kept it. Well, I guess I am angry. I guess I am just hostile. I guess I am just a firecracker. I guess I just am this way. Some of you have even believed what you learned from the last relationship and have transferred that to this relationship and have lived in a season of pain and complexity because we have believed oftentimes the wrong thing. And it's so easy. Someone will lie to us, tell us a false truth, and we'll believe it, and it'll become a part of us. And it's so interesting how we get stuck in that. We get stuck in descriptions of ourselves. We get stuck in roles. We get stuck and we tell ourselves, God can't do this because the enemy has lied to us and we have believed what he said. You're too old to go back to school. You're too young to be that smart. You're too poor to have that dream. You're too rich to go backwards and give that money. Can I just say that the devil is a lie? And then as long as you know God and know his plans for you, that there is nothing that is impossible with God on your side. Let me take you to this text back in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. Because anybody can be ready. God just says, I, I just want you to believe that it can be done. I just want you to start with belief. Let me show you this text. It's really powerful here in Hebrews um, chapter 11. I'm getting the Hebrews here. In my Bible, I love it. Okay, where are we at? All right, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, the first part of this chapter, this is kind of known as the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, kind of the faith hall of fame or the hall of faith. And most of you have heard the first verse in this uh, passage. Very, very familiar. You've heard it. You've probably heard it this way in this version. Faith is the substance, when you can finish it, right, of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? NLT would say faith is the confidence that what we hope for, sorry, that what we hope will actually happen. It gives us the assurance about things we can't see. That's what the first part of that uh, verse uh, chapter says. But down here in verse six, it's a very interesting verse. Bible says in verse six, and it is impossible, see that word? To please God without faith. They just described what faith was, that faith was the evidence, or faith was the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. How can we have assurance about things that haven't happened? We don't have assurance in what happens. 
we have assurance in who makes it happen. Does that make sense? So in other words, my son or my, my children can have assurance that they're going to be provided for, not because of how many times I provided for them, but because they know who I am. They said, that's my dad, and so my dad's supposed to, or inherently I have learned to trust him that he's going to provide for me. So when you have faith, you're really believing that things that have not happened are going to happen, not be just because you hope for them, but because you hope and you trust in the God that will do them. And what happens is God will deposit something deep in you that you hope for. He'll put a longing in you and a desire for something that he embedded in you just to let you know that that thing you've been dreaming about, I know it's way, it's crazy, right? It's super big, like it doesn't make any sense, but I put that inside of you because I want to do that through you. And so when you trust who God is, you can say, yes, it's done. Even if it doesn't come in this lifetime or even if it doesn't come the way you want it to come, you can trust in the God that you serve that is going to happen. So you don't have to see it before you prepare for it. That's why we've ripped the stage out. That's why we're making the renovations. That's why we're making the steps that we're making because we already see it. It just hasn't happened yet. But we believe that the God we serve wants as many people as possible to know who he is. You can't argue against that. And so we are preparing for greater. We are preparing for more because we believe that the God we serve wants more. Does that make sense? So what's crazy in verse 6 then, he, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. God's not happy with unbelief. Which means God does things that require belief. That's because he's God. Okay, let me rewrite that. He, he sends us to do things that require faith that are bigger than us because he's God. Because if we could do it on our own strength, we wouldn't need it. Like, oh, you don't need me for that. And there's a lot of things that make us have God so small because we think we need help for that. And God's like, no, you can do that. You don't need me for that. You need me for this. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. Look what the rest of the verse says. Anyone who wants to come to him must do what? What's the word say? Believe that God exists. Here's the good part. And that he is, and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It didn't say he rewards those who memorize the Bible. It's he rewards those who are perfect and upright and sinless and have done everything right. No. All he wants to know, all he's looking for is people who believe. See, really, the Bible, uh, when, when Jesus was on the cross and when he was resurrected and when the church started, what happened was the people went from followers to believers. Because to believe the fact that Jesus died and came back to life, that required belief. And that was where some people dropped off. Because a lot of people were following with the miracles, right? Oh, yeah, he's the man. Oh, Jesus? Oh, man, we just ate. He just fed. He just healed me. That's where the miracles ended. And really what happened, the Bible says, people stopped following Jesus when he was like, yeah, by the way, everybody that follows me is going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It was like, whoa, Jesus, I'm out. Strange, can't get it, I'm out of here. 
His disciples like, Jesus, you're the man, man. You're going to take over Rome. Like, we're going to do this huge campaign. Like, I'm gonna run, you're going to run for president. You got this, Jesus. You are popular. Jesus like, yeah. But by the way, do you do know I'm about to get killed, right? Like, we all going to be boiled and killed and sacrificed. And they're like, oh, Jesus, you need a nap, man. I'm just, I'm just saying, something's wrong. You got to stress in your life. Jesus required faith to believe that he was resurrected. And so they were actually called believers. Ooh, that makes, that's good. They were actually called believers. So anyone who, who wants to come to God and seek him, their requirement is not knowledge. It's not background. It's not pedigree. It's not experience. It's not behavior. It's actually belief. And I can tell you as a pastor, in this church, in the Seventh-day Adventist church, there are a lot of Adventist atheists. They believe everything we teach, but they don't believe the God we serve. They don't trust him. They don't believe him. They don't really think he'll do this. They don't really think the gospel's for everybody. They may believe everything we say, but they live their whole experience when God is this small. Jesus is point guard, playing center. So God says, I just need a few people who believe. Let me take you to this last text in Acts. Because I'm, I'm going to close it up right here. Acts chapter 2. And I'm just trying to get you to, to open your mind a little bit. I'm trying to get you to level up. Like I said, here's something you need to be praying for. You need to be praying for a bigger size. Say, say God, is this too small for me? Is this mindset too small? I'm not talking about material things. I'm not talking about, the pastor said, I need a bigger house, Jesus, and a big old car. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, God can't bless you with that if your credit is jacked up. I'm just saying, right? God bless me. I mean, your credit score is like 412. He can't bless you with an SUV. I mean, he just can't do it. I mean, he can do anything, but he won't do it. What if you say, God... Put, I don't need to make a million dollars, but put me in a position where I could if I wanted to. Bigger size. Here's, here's what Acts 2 says. I love this. So this was after the cross. This was after Jesus was resurrected. And people were trying to figure this thing out, right? Disciples were scattered. And, God, and Jesus appeared to his disciples and said, look, what I want you guys to do, I'm going to give you this gift of the Holy Spirit. I need you to meet in a room somewhere, and I'm just go where I told you to go and just wait. So the Bible says all these believers, all of them came, all these people there, and they were there. And verse 1 says, on the day of Pentecost, this was the day that they were going to receive this promise, receive this gift. This was the day that God was going to give a high five and tag in the Holy Spirit. And he was going to shift to his, his heavenly ministry and switch to something different. But he was going to give the church the power through the Holy Spirit. It was coming on the day of Pentecost. Verse uh, 1 says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. That's my text right there. But can, can, we, can I just break this down a little bit? I love this. It was so powerful when God showed me this. First of all, there wasn't a lot of people. Second of all, there were people in the room that weren't supposed to be there. There was women in the room. There's people from different races, ethnicities. 
There was poor people, rich people. It was all a mixed bag. It was a room of people that would have never been assembled by the church in that day. They would have never put that group together. They would have never said, I choose them. None of us would have been in that group. None of us. We all would have been excluded. Matter of fact, there were different places for most of us. We couldn't even go to the churches that they went to. And here God says, I got all the believers in a room. There's more people than just 12. There's more people than just the originals. And those who were following and those who were believing had believed and come to the room. The Bible says all the believers were meeting together. I love that. These were people who believed. These were people who said, you know what? I believe that Jesus says he is who he says he is. I believe he can do what he says he can do. And I'm in the room and I'm going to wait and life is going to be on pause because I believe. Then the text says they were meeting together and they were all in one place. Ooh, I love that. Because you know what it makes me think? What happens if all of our believers in this church are in one place? What does God want to pour out on us if we believe? That we're taking steps and launching a new movement, not for notoriety, not for some sort of award, not to have some mega church or anything like that. We're not doing it for that reason. We're doing it because we believe that God loves people and he's positioned us in this city to love the people that God has given us and through this city and wherever cities he sends us, that that's what God wants. And as long as we step forward, God will bring us what he wants. But what would happen if everybody in the room believed? If all the believers were together, all the believers were on the same page because this blueprint that starts in this room began the blueprint of the church that from here on out the people sold their stuff people gave stuff away people that weren't uh, in, in high positions were elevated and people that were in high positions were lowered and it was equal and everybody was considered uh, the same because they all believed in God got level up Get a bigger size. Say, God, there's more for me, isn't there? This isn't all it's supposed to be. This isn't all I'm supposed to have. There's something deeper than this. I was I was shocked this week uh, when I read the report that they reported on Apple that Apple was now worth one trillion dollars. That's a that is absolutely mind-blowing that a company would be worth one trillion dollars. Here's what was deep about it. The genius and the brains behind that company is dead. It's been dead for a while. And the products that they're still producing were his ideas that he had in his mind that he hasn't even seen yet. And won't see. I should say not yet, because the brother won't see it until Jesus comes. Yeah, so Steve Jobs is sleeping in his grave and has no idea that the company has implemented many of the things that he had in his mind. The way he could implement those things and had those ideas is because he already saw it. Steve Jobs already had faith in himself and in his idea. 
and the expression of his idea, I'm wearing it, you're wearing it, you're using it, we're seeing it, because he believed, and the company took what he believed and kept running. Can I just say it like this? You are the expressed image of God in human flesh. The purposes of God are in you. God created the idea of you to bring him glory. And he introduced you into the world to represent the kind of God that he is. You are the idea that he believed and thought of in faith. That said, one day I'm going to bring my child into the earth and they are going to change the world. This is what I'm trying to tell you. You don't have to be a billionaire. You just got to believe like one. You don't have to be a business owner. You just got to believe like one. And I guarantee you, when you start believing like one, you'll start acting like one. You can be single right now. You start believing like a wife and start acting like a wife, you will be a wife. And somebody said, I can't pass this sister up because she's got everything hooked up. Brother, I'm trying to tell you, I don't care what condition you were raised in. I don't care what someone says to you. You start thinking like the CEO. You start thinking like a leader. You start thinking like the man you know in your heart is. And God says, I can only match the faith that he has. Start believing like it. You'll start acting like it. And this is not a motivational speech. This is just to tell you that God says the first step in coming to me is believing that I am real and I will reward those who seek me. I will give to those more who are seeking after me, not after the stuff, but after me. Church, I think it's time to level up. I think it's time to believe more. I think it's time to pray for more. I think it's time to declare more. I think it's time to see more because God wants more, so why don't we? Thank you.